Amen. Good to be back. Good to be back on a Friday and uh, good to see everybody here today. Hey, I know it's very hard to pray uh, for people that are headed to Spain, uh, but we have to pray for our, our uh, concert chorale. We have a team that in a couple weeks um, has to go to Spain and is going to minister all over that nation. And if you are part of that group headed to Spain during the, the, the winter break, this, uh, the, our Super Bowl break, um, if you're part of that team in any way with tech, mu- musicians, singers, leaders, staff, would you stand up real quick? All of our team that's headed. Stand up, stand up, stand up. We're going to pray for you. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up, stand up. Stay on your feet. Stay on your feet. Stay on your feet. Stay standing up. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. All you Spain people, get back on your feet. I'm not preaching till you're all standing again. There we go. There we go. I want to pray uh, over you real quick. Uh, my wife is actually going to go on the trip. I'm going to stay back here, hold down the fort, try to sneak into the Super Bowl. I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm going to be walking around that stadium begging. No, I don't know what I'm going to do, but um, it's just not right for it to be that close once in your life and uh, not to get in that building. So I'm praying, I'm plotting. Uh, but anyway, we want to pray for our team for safety, travel mercy, and just a tremendous uh, experience of ministry uh, as a go global with NCU. Our brand is global. Uh, we have watered the earth with leaders out of this university for 86 years, 87 years. And so let's pray. Jesus, I just ask that you would just prosper, God, this team and this trip, Lord. Let it be uh, more than they ever dreamed, God. I pray that things would happen, Lord, that would stick for the rest of our lives, God, for those participating. Jesus, we just pray and we bless God. We're not jealous, Lord. We bless them that they get to go to these great cities of the world, Lord to take the gospel and to take our university, Lord. Watch over the leaders, the travel, all of it, God. Let there be no sickness, no incident, nothing, Lord, other than open door after open door, Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. We bless and commission them. Amen, amen. Let's give them a big hand. They've had to raise money. It's a big deal. Some of you are going, they're going to Barcelona? Uh, Yeah, if you could sing... You could go too, but I'm not going because I can't sing. So anyway, these are our, our, our special ops that are headed to that part of the world. Um, all righty, take your Bible if you are. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5 in just a few moments. But I want to tell you a story and frame a very powerful word uh, with this story. Um, I heard yesterday that Professor Regina Daniels just did a phenomenal job. I don't know, if is Regina here today? Is she in the service or chapel? Just tell her, give her a big hug on my behalf. That was great. I saw some of the pictures. I was, uh, um, I do a lot. Uh, it, this job's very busy. And some of the Fridays that I have been gone is because I have to be in school. So I'm taking quantitative um, research right now, which is um, numbers and statistics uh, on Fridays. And so I'm finishing up my last part of my classroom with my PhD And also for the new students that are here, I just want to welcome you for our mid-year transfer students that are just a part of North Central. We open up our arms to you. You're not here as part of half of us. You're here with all of us. And we just really appreciate all the transfers. And we're getting lots of inquiries from lots of transfers now. Um, But we are so blessed that you are here. But 
Um, I am finishing my PhD, um, which stands for Public Health Disaster. Um, um, and it is, it's crazy, it's very hard. And we have several, I have such respect for all of our PhDs uh, at North Central University. We got tremendous faculty that have gone through this process uh, much younger in life than I'm going through it. Um, but I have to finish it up and it's about 60 units. I've done about 40 of my units. The first 40 units is classroom and then you kind of enter the dissertation phase which is the last uh, 15 to 20 units. And that's where you write a big old huge research project, about a 250 page uh, research project where you're adding to the knowledge in that area, something that has not been researched. And so it's a big, uh, big uh, process. So I've got, I've got a class I have to take <clears throat> here in January and then classes I have to take in the summer. And then my classroom travels are done, but I'm already starting the dissertations. I just got a little bit more travel that I have to go to Spokane. I go uh, on Fridays and Saturdays twice a month to uh, Spokane, Washington for class. A little bit bigger commute from Menzing to here, but it's, it, um, it, uh, it's going, going well. But um, I want to share with you um, a little story. Next week, uh, or this weekend and Monday, we are celebrating, it's been 50 years uh, long before you were born, most of you in this room. I was only um, um, five years old, or uh, I was six at the time, uh, when Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated um, in 1968. So I was six years old. I have no memory of the news of that happening. There was a lot that happened in 1968. A presidential candidate named Robert Kennedy was killed. Dr. King was killed. There were huge riots in Chicago. There was chaos all over the world. The Vietnam War was going on. It was perilous times. Uh, I don't have any real memories of the 1960s except like watching I Dream a Genie or something like that as a little kid. Um, but it was um, a terrible year in 19... Thank you so much, Doug. Appreciate that. My little miniature water. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. So it was a tough year um, in the United States. And in many ways, I asked people that were alive in the 60s um, if our day and age, how it mirrors what we're going through today as far as the the social fabric and the social unrest and uh, the confusion that we are facing um, in this world or in our nation. And they said it mirrors a lot of the, of the 60s. There's some dynamics that are worse today, uh, but there were also situations back in the 60s that felt like our country was not going to make it. Um, like our country is just simply going to go into anarchy and chaos in the late 60s. And, but the Lord saw uh, our nation through, and I believe he's going to lead our nation and see us through uh, the perilous kind of situations that we find ourselves in currently. But in 1968, very famous event, Dr. King uh, was on the balcony of his hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. He had preached a, a very prolific sermon the night before, very famous sermon, not the I Have a Dream speech. That had happened uh, long before in Washington, D.C. This was a sermon, though, the night before his assassination. And he referenced something in the sermon that is rarely told. Uh, Dr. King was 39 years old when he died. Now, you think about the impact of his life, but he died at age 39. I'm 55. That's a long time ago. But people don't know what happened when he was 29. Dr. King wrote his first book 
in, when he was 29 years old in 1958. In 1955, he was part of a very famous civil rights event uh, called the Birmingham Bus Boycott in 1955. He then wrote about that experience when he was 27, 28. The book got published when he was 29. So he goes to his very first book signing at this store right here. It's in Harlem. It's called Bloomstein's, uh, Bloomstein. It's just a famous department store in Harlem. And Dr. King is 29. This is 1958, not 1968. And so here he is. There's a picture of the next one, if you can. There he is at the book signing. And he's excited, striding toward freedom. Uh, it was a, really an expose on the Birmingham experience. And he, I mean, how exciting is that? You're 29, you've written your first national book. This is your first book signing. You're there. It's the first event at this store in Harlem. This is the big debut, the big coming out. He's standing at this table, just beginning to sign his books. A well-dressed lady walks up to him and says, are you Martin Luther King? And he says, yes, I am. Without any space of time, she thrusts a 10-inch knife into his heart to kill him. The knife goes into his heart. It sinks four inches below the chest wall. And here is a picture moments after the knife has been plunged into his heart. Dr. King is now seated, stunned, and there is a knife sticking out with the handle broken off now. Go to the close-up. Most people in the United States have never seen this picture. They've never even heard this story that 10 years before he was assassinated, he was, there, there was an attempt on his life to kill him at his very first book signing at age 29. This lady walked up who was suffering from schizophrenia and she had um, this idea that he was a communist and that he was part of a conspiracy that was chasing her all over the place. And so she had this delusional state of mind. She was a broken person emotionally and mentally that could be measured and diagnosed. And somehow she made her way through and acted civil and then reached out to kill Dr. King. He couldn't even react. The knife was in his chest. Now, the tip of the knife is pressing firmly against his main aorta. The doctors say that had Dr. King retaliated, reacted, jerked, defended, it would have punctured his aorta and he would have died on the spot. For three hours, one hour at the table, and two hours on the operating table, the knife was pressed against his aorta for three hours. They said the slightest move, it would have punctured the aorta, then the pressure of that would have torn the aorta, and you are dead. There's no way back. If you puncture that aorta, even with a pinprick, you're dead. In the hospital, he found out about the woman who hit him in the heart with the knife. Found out that she was mentally disabled. That she was clinically, had been in the hospital and had come out of the hospital and for whatever reason had access to this book signing. When he found out about her condition, he said, please do not prosecute her. Get her help. And Dr. King chose to bypass any criminal prosecution of this woman 
She was institutionalized because of her mental health condition, and she died in the 1970s. But here's my point. We are living in a volatile day and age in which people may not physically, but it seems like without warning, things are being thrust into the psyche, the spirit, the mind, the heart of people. Neighbor is seeking to kill neighbor without warning. What saved Dr. King's life was one simple word. And that word is composure. Composure. Had he reacted, had he lashed out, had he not sat there calm having to assimilate and absorb with great resiliency the crisis I think I've given you this illustration before that if I have, anybody play with Silly Putty? Remember Silly Putty? And uh, it's, it's ageless. And if I had a ball of Silly Putty and I struck the Silly Putty with my finger and my finger went into the Silly Putty representing a crisis or a trauma. If I remove my finger, the shape of the Silly Putty has been altered because of the trauma. That is the absence of resiliency. Resiliency is like a tennis ball. If I have the same pressure against the tennis ball, it absorbs it, but then when the crisis passes, I resume my shape. What the devil is seeking to do in all of our lives is to get us to constantly change our shape because of crisis, trauma, the unexpected threats around us. It hits us and it changes us when really the Christ in you and the Christ that was in him enabled him to remain composed for three hours with a knife pressed against his heart. So when we celebrate Dr. King, I'm just telling you, I think, of course, the bravery of being able to preach and be on that balcony lost his life in that moment. But this event 10 years earlier tells me probably more about this person uh, than simply his martyrdom moment. So I just want to encourage you in this room that At whatever level you are with Jesus and his work going on inside your life, if you are losing your cool and losing your composure because of the trauma and the stress of the world that's around you, if a news report comes your way, if information comes your way, you have to be able to absorb the crisis with kingdom resiliency and then restore your shape in the Lord without losing shape. I'm certainly not saying it's easy. But I don't believe that Dr. King had an unusual ability that you and I don't also possess because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. I believe if somebody stuck a knife in my chest right there, I too can, because of Christ, remain calm, even at that level of madness. Luke chapter five, let's go to Luke chapter five. How many have never in your life heard that story? Let me see, just be honest. I mean, it's okay. Never heard the story. Never seen the photo. Of, of Dr. King with a knife sticking in his chest. Now you can go back and just sound brilliant and uh, all learned and uh, like, yeah, let me lec- lecture here for a minute on social justice and the origins of it. And do you know Dr. King was, no, it's a powerful story in all seriousness. Okay, Luke chapter five, it says, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him, which was nothing new for Jesus, there was constantly this social pressure, this mosh pit literally of Jesus was just walking and meandering through people, pressing against him. In this particular case, they were near a lake 
Everyone was similar to where Jesus was. I think I shared this verse possibly with you in a different reference earlier this semester. It says, they were pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And uh, many scholars believe this was not the end of the fishing day, but really the culmination of the fishing season because the run of fish um, was no longer near this fishing hole. So they were really done fishing there. They were washing their nets and getting into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, Jesus asked permission of him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So Jesus sees this group of people the way that we need to always perceive opportunity. There was this group of people that needed the truth. They were there to seek the truth. Some were probably bystanders, uh, clinging on, whatever. But Jesus uh, could sense there was an opportunity for the kingdom of these folks. So he, he seeks to create a platform to present. That's what we have to do in our leadership life. We're always creating makeshift platforms to share the gospel. We are always ready in imperfect settings and we're looking for creative ways. So Jesus uses this boat like a floating platform and he gets offshore just a little bit so that he can create a teaching forum with this crowd of people that was impossible if he was just in the middle of the crowd rubbing shoulders. So Jesus creates this setting. And you've got to be creative and willing and bold on a moment's notice to create a platform for the kingdom. If people are there and they're hungry, then you've got to look for ways. I don't know if Jesus ever woke up that morning thinking that he would turn a boat into a synagogue that day, but he did. And that's the beauty and the power of the gifting that's in all of you in this room. You're going to go spend the rest of your life in all these wonderful different disciplines and venues of study all these different careers. But the primary thing is how do I use this to create a platform with the people God gives me to present the kingdom? And so be willing, be ready to turn a boat into a stage at any given time. So Jesus goes on this, out to this boat and literally turning it into a mini synagogue sits down then to teach. And then he sat down in the boat, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. I think I referenced this verse earlier with you. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took zero. We took nothing. But at your word, I will let down my nets. You know, sometimes in the Christian life, all that the Lord, all we can give the Lord is this. Yes, sir. I have no romance, no dance, nothing in my heart feels electric about this. It's simply, well, because you said it. Because it says, we toiled and I took nothing, he says, but I will, let your, I will let it down because it's your word. You're instructing me because you're saying this to me. Sometimes that's all we have is the instruction of God's word. We don't totally understand it because the Bible is asking us to go back and do stuff we've done before with zero results. 
And it's hard at times to be motivated to go back and do stuff for the kingdom that you've done before and got a big fat zero. We did this already, Lord. This is not a new vision. We got nothing to show for it. And when you go through seasons where you're serving the Lord, but you got nothing to show for it. And then the Lord shows up and he says, hey, I want you to go back and do that some more. Like, Lord, we've already done this all night. I'm exhausted from this. It's not a new thing. I'm tired of doing this. What you're asking me to do, we got nothing to show for it. But because you're asking me, because it's in the Bible, The truth be told, there's hundreds of times like that in your Christian life. All you can do is salute, obey, and say, (laughs) it's only because you're saying it, Jesus. If anybody else was asking me to do this, there's no way I would do this, but because you are instructing me, Lord, I will go back and do it again. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of, uh, of fish, or they caught a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners, verse 7. If you have your Bible, I want you to circle the word partners in each other's boat to come and help them. And when they came and filled <coughs> both the boats, so they began to sink. The splitting of the nets, the sinking of the boats. The splitting of the nets, the sinking of the boats. Remember that phrase, the splitting of the nets and the sinking of the boats. When Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. Why would you tell Jesus to leave a miracle setting like this? For I'm a sinful man, for for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that he had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, with partners of Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, from now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I think when I shared this earlier with you, I want to angle it differently now a little bit. So, 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 pretty simple story. First of all, Jesus, Jesus sought permission to enter and use the vessel. We know that. Jesus cannot do anything unless you welcome him into your boat. Uh, I've shared that before. He asked permission to use it. The whole story stops if Peter uh, says it's off limits. If Peter used his fatigue to say, Jesus, I really don't want you uh, on my boat. Not now, not, we're done. The season's over, the season's over. It really comes down to the simplicity of Jesus every day saying, hey, can I enter the boat? Can I enter the vessel and can I use your life? The second thing that Jesus then asked Peter is to re-engage in the toil, this, what I just shared, asking him to do the same things he's done before. It's very difficult to re-engage in the toil because when we don't get quick and fast results for the kingdom, we just have a human tendency to move into new things and new ideas. And so like, hey man, I've been tithing. I'm in worse shape. Uh, I've been praying. No answers came. I'm sicker than I was before I started praying. My relationships are worse. I've been toiling all night doing this and I have zero to show for it. Then Jesus comes back and says, hey, I want you to be generous and give. I want you to pray. I want you to fast. You're going, I've been doing that already all night. But because you say it, Jesus, I'll obey. And on the other side of that moment then, 
this happens. Jesus, Peter obeyed because Jesus instructed him to. And then the boat went crazy. The splitting of the net, Peter's net. And then Peter calls for his partners. Here's what I want to share with you. This, is, I think, is the revelation of this text before we pray. Why is it critical that you form relationships for a lifetime at North Central University, and then you form relationships for a lifetime beyond here. You're learning the value of the lifetime partner. I took my, some classes online, but let's just be honest. If I sit at home in my pajamas, in my iPad, I'm not gonna become a great leader if that's all I do. I can't just take classes on my iPad and my pajamas alone and become a great leader because it keeps me from partnerships. Now watch this. Peter, his boat, he has this miracle from scarcity to abundance. It's a miracle of all miracles. And Peter realizes quickly that there is not one boat big enough to hold everything that Jesus wants to do. There's not a school big enough. There's not a church big enough. You're not big enough. I'm not big enough. Nobody's big enough in themselves. But here's the new thing the Lord just showed me from this text. He called for his partners. Sometimes we don't understand why are we in relationship with this person? Why, why'd we meet? Why'd we connect? Why are we doing life together in this harbor? And sometimes the necessity or the benefit or the blessing of that partnership is not realized at first. It takes time. When Peter's boat began to sink, he called for his partner's boat to come. So Andrew brings his boat. And the overflow from boat A to boat B was so huge that it began to sink that boat. So both boats are sinking and both nets are splitting. The sinking of the boats, the splitting of the nets. I've been praying for that for our school. Lord, I pray you would split the nets and sink the boats, God. Split the nets and sink the boats, God. And that, Lord, it's not going to happen solely because we keep our boat to ourselves. If we solely just captain our boat and keep our little secret miracle to ourselves and don't freely form partnerships, relationships, and friendships, the overflow of what God is doing in your life will be missed by them. Now, I will say this. Sometimes we get arrogant with our blessing. Sometimes we're a big church and it's just going and blowing and flowing and we say, hey, we just want to be a blessing to the world. But the assumption in that is that you think you will always be boat A. Oh, we're always going to be boat A. And so we have a bunch of partners, little boats, that come partner with us so you can get the overflow from boat A to boat B. But let me tell you, after 35 years of being in the ministry, I'm telling you, sometimes God blesses your boat and your partners are blessed with the overflow of what God is doing in your boat to them. But equally, there has been just as many times that I was boat B. It started in their boat and it overflowed to my boat. But if I don't have, if I don't have partnerships, if I don't have partnerships, not only will I miss the capacity for what God is doing in my life to flow to yours, but I will lose out 
on the overflow of what God is doing in your life to mine. The sinking of the boats and the splitting of the nets. Sometimes in this life, guys, we're going to be boat A. God's blessing you and everybody that's friends with you gets the overflow of that. But understand, if you don't build partnerships, you're probably going to miss out on half of the blessing of your life that starts in them and then flows to you. Instead of always starting with you and flowing to them. He called for his partners. Life-giving friendships. We are really collecting boats. Boats. Our lives are intersecting here for these few moments so that we can find each other in, this, in a similar harbor for the kingdom and that the sinking of the boats and the splitting of the nets so that everything Jesus is capable of doing begins to happen in our communities, in our cities, our nation, in our world. But if we don't have partnerships, we will never have enough boats to capture the overflow or the blessing of what God is doing. I just want to pray for that for you. I love hearing, I, I heard the story of how venture started. In the, I can't believe the amount of great ideas that have started in dorms in this university over 86 years because two people started coming together as two boats. Partners, partners, friendships. It's not just to help you cope while living at North Central. These aren't just coping relationships. These are boating relationships that are going to stay with you the rest of your life. And you will not believe what God can do when we're unified, come together. Because no, not one person can handle everything that God wants to do. So Jesus, we just thank you this morning as we just begin to transition to prayer and fasting today. Let's all stand across the room. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for the beautiful diversity of this university, God. Let our college become an emblem, Lord, of how to live on fire for the Lord, true to Scripture, a university that walks holy before God, not just with compassion, but of purity of heart and word and motive and deed, God, that we would walk clean as a university, Jesus. Be transformed, God. Father, I pray that it would be so robust that when people visit, when they enroll, when they come to this place, Lord, if they've just got a little pilot light inside, God, it would ignite, God, into something they never thought possible, Lord, a bonfire, God. We're so thankful for our beautiful school, Jesus, that you brought us here, God. Father, I pray for a powerful start and endurance to the semester, Jesus, that we would finish well, that we would think about somebody else that we can bring to North Central next year, God, that we can think about, Lord, the world around us that is so bleeding and broken, God. Use my life, God, when I walk outside and a Somali neighbor's walking on the sidewalk with me, Jesus. From another country, Jesus, help me to 
be used in those 30 seconds somehow, some way. We love you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray for a calm and a peaceableness to hit our nation, Father. We are so thankful, God, for everyone from all the nations, Lord, of the earth that come to this place, God. They bless, Lord. They bless us, Lord. Help us to be a blessing, Lord. And Jesus, we just give you praise today, God. Take us from scarcity to abundance, Lord, as you did Peter. And Lord, if we're toiling, if we're just obeying from a place of emptiness, God, I pray like Peter, we would fall down in repentance because of the goodness of the Lord. The reward of the Lord would make us feel our need to be clean. So, fathers, we start a time of prayer and fasting for those that can stay. We just ask Jesus for this to be a rich time of seeking your face. I'd like to invite our faculty, if you, for all who can stay, to pray for students. And we're just going to begin to worship. For those that can stay, we stay on Fridays uh, for an hour here just to pray and worship. If you can stay a part of it or all of it, you are welcome to remain here to pray and to fast. Have a phenomenal weekend, North Central. We love you. God bless. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.